I'm going to talk to you this morning about sharing our faith, about being a light to the world. And I thought, what better way to begin that than to hear Jesus calling to us. Um, and kids, I, I, I want you to listen, too, because Jesus is great at using visual analogies that you can follow along with. Uh, I'm glad Henry's here this morning. He can vouch for the fact that two weeks ago, this was our topic in kids' church, and Henry and the other kids had great questions, and we had a great discussion about how to be a school, live in school, and be in a family, and have friends, and also talk to them about Jesus and tell them he loves them. So they were great, and I know they can follow along with us and, and get something out of that. So I'm really thankful that the kids are in the, in the lesson with us this morning. So let me read some of these words of Jesus, and then we're going to pray, and then I'll get into, into the sermon. First is Matthew 4, 18 through 20. While they were walking by the Sea of Galilee... He saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Then we go to 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, church. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. To 9, 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, that's us, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. Till the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord for us. Let's pray. Lord, we don't want to just be hearers of your word. We want to be doers. Please show us your heart for the lost. Give us ears to hear and obey your invitation. Fill us today with your spirit so together we can become that city on a hill that weary travelers can see and rejoice to enter, find hope and life and rest in you. It's your miracle, God. Thank you for including us in your work of drawing men and women to you. Amen. 
So what I would like to do in breaking this down and showing us how we can walk this out as individuals and together as a church is acknowledge at first that most of us are not going to do what Peter did when Jesus said, follow me and you'll become fishers of men. Most of us aren't going to drop our jobs and go do that full time. Some of us are and some of us should. So if that's you and God's calling you, do it. But most of us are going to live a different kind of life. We're going to live what I would call more of a bivocational life. We're going to have jobs and we're going to have uh, families and normal life, but we're also included in these words from Jesus. We're also called. So to give you a little bit of an introduction as to how this has played out in my life and how I see it uh, applying to the church, I'm going to give you a little bit of my background. Um, and let's go to the, the next slide or two. Thanks to my dad, who happens to be here today, uh, I fix leather for a living. That's what I do. That's my day job. I go to people's houses and they have a ratty, beat up old leather couch. And I'll spend a few hours in their home, bring out all my equipment with me and clean it and fix it. And voila, four hours later, it's all cleaned up. And here's another example. I did this red one just a few weeks ago, actually. And a few hours later, I'm done and it looks like a new couch. So I'm blessed that this is the job that God's given me. It's the way I've provided for my family. Uh, but it isn't when I started out the path that I saw myself on. Uh, I got an undergrad degree in psychology. The Lord saved me at 19 and I had a heart for him and a heart for people. And fixing leather didn't seem to me spiritual enough, maybe, of a job. Uh, but God absolutely changed my understanding of that through a lot of experiences. Uh, I spend time in people's homes and they're just hanging out and I'm working and I'm doing a lot of times things that I don't have to pay a ton of attention. I don't have to take all my concentration. So I have the chance to just chat with people. And over the years, God has amazingly given me Dozens and dozens of opportunities to ask people questions and to engage in what they're interested in. I'll see a picture of a sailboat in the walls and say, oh, are you a sailor? You know, just whatever they care about. And it leads from one thing to another, to me potentially sharing a testimony, to explaining how New Life Service Company came out of Jesus people hippies looking for a way to provide for their families and has become my testimony of fixing leather and also being a light for the gospel. So to show that, I just want to share a quick story or two of how it's happened for me. Um, the first one starts with me being pulled over by a cop. Um, I was downtown Baltimore City, and a cop pulled me over, and I didn't think I'd done anything wrong. What he had to say to me was, son, I don't think you're in the right part of town. You know, I, he was concerned. He And I just explained I had somebody's house to go to to fix their leather couch. Um, not that same day, but several months, weeks or months later, I went back to that same community and worked for Miss Cherry. And uh, it was a little bricks or a concrete stoop into a row home down downtown Baltimore City. And I was working on her couch, got to uh, notice she was caring for her grandkids, asked her a few questions, and ended up learning that her daughter was on drugs and wasn't with her kids. She was raising the kids. 
we were able to talk a little more. I was able to share a little bit of of my hope in the Lord and how he strengthens me. And she talked to me about it as well. So I finish, I fix the couch and that's done. But then I go back out on the porch and I asked her if I could pray with her. I had the chance to pray with her on that stoop in that community where the cop told me I shouldn't be. And as I'm turning to leave, she turns to me and just gives me this big hug. And I was like, okay, I fixed her leather couch. That's never happened before. And it was beautiful. It was a wonderful opportunity to connect on a deeper level to shine the light of Christ in her life. Um, The second story that I wanted to highlight um, actually shows community because... Isaac Pinckney has to do, is involved in this story. One day I was pulling onto a car lot. This is just a few months ago. And I had two simultaneous thoughts. Um, I hadn't talked to Isaac for a while, so I just shot him a text. And I also thought about William, a car lot guy there who I had been talking to a long time, but I hadn't really made a deeper connection with. And I just said a prayer. God, help me to go deeper with him. And the story's going to make it sound like That's how it always works, but oftentimes I pray and it doesn't work out this way. But in this particular case, that prayer was immediately answered. I started, I, William came up to me, he started to talk to me, and almost immediately started telling me deep spiritual things going on in his life. Like so deep that it, I usually warm up talking to people about Christ, but Christ is power over demonic and dark forces. And that was basically all I could say to him. And I did, and we talked about it. And he's told me since that he's visiting church and and reading the Bible. I'm not sure he's saved yet, but continue to pray for him. So anyway, I finished up talking to him, and I shot a text to Isaac. So I said, hey, Isaac, I pray for this guy, because he's He's on my heart now, and God just moved. And that's the way we were linked as community to to, uh, shine the light. So it was really exciting. So let's look at the top part of our handout here, seeing and sharing God's heart for the lost. Um, what I want to do, kids and adults, is is to just put in visual terms this idea of bivocational living. Um, under vocational, above vocational job, would you also write daily life because I don't mean to just say this only happens in our work. Some of you are retired, your students, your neighbors, you, you have other aspects of your life. This is about daily life. And next to that, on the left side, you can write what you do. I'm a leather repairman. I'm a neighbor and I'm a dad. But you can write that in on the top of the thing, of the visual. And then on the other side of the arrows says gospel job. And that's what Jesus read to us. So whatever hits you. Kids, you could draw or you can just write. We're salt to the earth. We're lights to the world. We can be fishers of men. Those are callings from God that are also part of who we are. We live by vocational lives. And this, these arrows could be a sermon in and of themselves, but it's just an aside that I wanted to mention that the two aren't opposed to each other. E in the top arrow stands for excellence. We do our work as unto the Lord, and it shines the light. I in the middle stands for integrity. We do our work with integrity, and that also shines the light of truth and who God is. And we're kind as we do our work. Just notice people, talk to them, and it makes a difference and overlaps in that bivocational part of our lives. 
And one thing I don't want to do is to make it seem like I'm bringing something new to Living Hope that isn't already here. So I wanted to point out a little bit of the, the way this is already functioning. When I first started as Elder for Evangelism, one of my goals was just to listen in on conversations. And anytime I heard somebody talking about a lost loved one or a friend or a family member, just asking them. And I had dozens of conversations with you about people in your lives that you love and care about and you want to meet Jesus. So it's alive in you. And even a few specific people I wanted to mention. Uh, I don't know if it's a requirement of getting hired for Lippy Brothers Farmer Farming, but they hear the gospel. And they do because Keith Lippy is an evangelist. His heart is for the gospel, and he's a person that you should talk to if you want to learn more about how to share your faith in bivocationally in a regular way. Uh, another couple that I talked to last fall before Thanksgiving, Barb and Martin Covington, and they told me wonderful stories about how they're intentionally connecting with their neighbors, bringing them over, getting to know them, caring about them, and having hard but good gospel conversations with those neighbors. And it was blew me away. It's wonderful. And that you should talk to them. Um, one more couple that I'd want to mention. I don't think they're here. My in-laws, Ron and Betty Zaldivar. What they have shown me is I've known them for 30-some years, and they are persevering. They have several groups of friends that are not believers that they have known and met and neighbors, uh, co-workers, and they've just loved them for a long time. And some of them haven't come to meet Jesus yet, but they're patient and persevering in their gospel love. Um, and one I didn't have on my list, but I'm glad to see she's here, is if our dear sister Fran, if she runs into somebody in a, in a grocery store and thinks she has a word to share with them, she does it. And she's an incredible lover of God and light for the gospel. So talk to her. That's what's happening already in Living Hope Church. So, but the question before I dig into the passage and how we live God's heart that I want to acknowledge first is that you already have busy lives, right? We already have vocations that we're busily doing. So who am I, or I guess who is Jesus, to add something more to that, to ask so much more of us that we do such a challenging thing like speak out and reach out to people with the gospel? Um, and this, some of this is my experience. A lot of this is confirmed in Scripture, but there's a joy that comes after obedience. Um, unfortunately, I and I imagine some of us have experienced the sorrow of not speaking out when we knew we ought to, but I'd love to focus on the other side of it. There are times when you say a word or, or offer a prayer or ask to have coffee with someone and they say yes, and it's not even so much what happens in that moment, but it's the joy of the Lord, the feeling of the pleasure of your father that you get when you share your faith. And it's worth it. Uh, the second is, it makes us dependent on God. Because honestly, sharing your faith puts you in over your head more often than not. So we just have to depend on him. If I'm going to know what to say or how to love or when to stop all the in a work situation, when is it right, when it is not. These are all questions that drive us to the end of ourselves and challenge us to be dependent on God, which is a good thing, a good thing. And finally, it's, it's a team sport, right? This is living hope, doing this together. We're individuals, but we do it 
together. And you think of the excitement and the celebration of the Super Bowl or of the big game, and they're playing for a trophy. They're playing to win a sport. We're playing, in a sense, to reach people for eternity with the good news of God. And that team sport, the celebration, the unity, the support we can give each other in that sense is so far greater that I want us to do it together. I, I need us to do it together so that I can grow in sharing my faith. All right, so now we're going to in, dig into the word and where what God's heart is for the lost as we turn to Luke 15. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke 15. two quick points about God's heart for the lost, and then I'm going to go a little deeper into the third point. And the first one is Luke 15, verse 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. How dare he? It's true of God. It's true of God that he draws sinners, that he attracts sinners. It was true of Jesus that he loved tax collectors and sinners and the have-nots of the world. And the quick point I want to just make on this one is, is it true of us? Especially if you've been a Christian for a while, 5, 10, 15 years The reality is we start to build our community and identity and lives in a good way around Christians. And we are with Christians and we do a lot of Christian things. Do we tend to get away from actually attracting and spending time with non-Christians like Jesus did? And at this point, I'd like to make an aside. It's a bigger point that I think applies to this whole sermon, but especially to this point of re-engaging with non-believers. And it's that there's a difference between how God convicts us of something we should change and grow in and the way the enemy tries to condemn us. So if you come away from this sermon or this particular point, I should spend more time with non-believers, feeling condemned, feeling bad about yourself, just like a general blah that you're not doing it enough, that's the enemy. That's not... God. That's not how he works. God convicts us. He uses a scalpel to cut away something that is bad for us anyway and give us something better. So if there's conviction here, that's awesome. We want the Holy Spirit to convict us on how to connect with non-believers, but I don't want anybody going away from this just feeling blah and condemned. Second is verses 3 through 10. And I'm going to need to summarize this. I would love to go deeper into it. I just don't have time. It's the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. It's two stories that Jesus tells about something lost. And he means people that are lost. And how hard those people went after them. And how there was great 
joy and great celebration when the lost was found. And the joy was not just between the the shepherd who found his lost sheep and the woman who found her lost coin, but it was joy in heaven, which is already an extraordinarily joyful place. But there's even greater joy when a lost person comes home. And that's the joy that I'm talking about, that we can be a part of as individuals and as a church, and that God in his heart is calling us to be a part of as well. But I want to spend a little more time on a really small part of the story of the prodigal son. Several weeks ago, we had a really good laying out of that prodigal, of that story. The prodigal got all his money and he blew it. And at some point, he just realizes he blew it, right? And he decides, if I at least go home and just beg my father, maybe he'll give me some food and treat me like one of his servants. But then he's on his way home. And verse 20 says this. Let me turn there. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I just want to key in, focus our lens on this verse. Because this father is our father. This father is God. And what I picture is... The father, sitting maybe on the porch at the end of a long day, looking for his son. He's not like grumbling and working and uh, stewing like, honestly, I as a father can tend to do about when my kids do something I don't like. He's sitting looking for his son. And when he sees him out in the distance, he doesn't sit and wait for him and make him do the long walk of shame. He gets up and he goes to him. And he kisses him and shows compassion to him. And later in the story, shows a, throws a party and invites people to celebrate that his son who is lost is found. And I think in that picture of God our Father, we see his heart in a very deep way. So what I want to do in this middle section of our notes is look at God's heart for us as his and for the lost who are not or may be his someday. And the, the, it's, it's a little complicated, but I think we're going to get it together and see in a beautiful way God's heart. So follow along with me if you can in the illustration. This outside section of God's heart is these 12 attributes that we spent all summer learning about together. Amazing, real, and true attributes of who this father is, what he's like. And our brother Ed made a great point in one of his earlier sermons, I think it was a quote he shared, that the Bible can feel ancient and far away to this modern world in a lot of ways, but the attributes of God, who he is, are what bridge the gap between the ancientness of the Bible and the human heart who we are today, what every human being wants and needs and desires deeply. So a couple of specific, you could do it with every one of these, but let me just 
touch on a couple really fast. God is true. Think about our modern world, the news, the sides, the stories we hear, the questions about what is and what is not. We need truth. So much we need truth. And this is who God is. This is the Father that's coming and running to us. He's true. He's also beautiful. Again, Ed did a fabulous job explaining the beauty and glory of God. And I connect easily and well to the beauty of God in nature. It's just beautiful, right? And you're in awe of it. But we can tell people that there's a creator behind that nature. It's a father that runs to you when you call on him. And his beauty is who he is, but it's who he is coming to you. And then a third one is justice. God is just. Think about our world, Haiti and Afghanistan and even our own lives and experiences. We have so many things where it's unjust. It's just wrong. And we can't fix it. Even the courts can only do so much. But this God, his heart, his being coming towards us is justice. It just is. And all 12 of these attributes speak to us and speak to every human being in their heart about what they need and who they are in the deepest places. And as if that were not enough, (laughs) there's even a heart deeper. And it's kind of what I've been alluding to. This is not just a list. This is not just philosophy or nice ideas that are the symbol of what is possible in reality for us to discover through processes or whatever. This is a father. So the second heart is father. God is a being who is our heavenly father. Earthly fathers are because God already was father. It's not humans making up an idea and putting it on God. God is father first. And think of father hunger and father wounds and father uh, absence and the effect that we as fathers have on our kids. It's so deep and extraordinary and painful in many ways from a human perspective. But a heavenly father, to point a prodigal to a heavenly father, is to point them to a perfect father. And that's real. And that's what we have the opportunity to do. But there's one level deeper the heart of God in its very center. As 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, we have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the deepest and most relatable, uh, available light we have is the person of Jesus Christ. We have four stories, four accounts to point people to. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, all of Jesus' life. We have the fact that Revelation, Genesis through Revelation points to the Messiah, to Jesus in so many ways, hundreds of years before he even came. And then we have Revelation to say what's going to happen in the end. These are all things about Jesus. And we have the ultimate revelation of God's heart and of Jesus' life as he goes to the cross. And he dies for our sins, suffers, pours out his blood because of Father's love for us, because he sent him into the world. And we can point people to Jesus and say, this is the heart of God for you. And as we look at the diagram, 
the arrow points over to us. And the top of the small heart is me, and in the bottom of the small heart is us. And by grace, we individually receive these things about who God is. And as a church, in our community, in our life together, we receive the gospel and we live by these things. But add something below it real quick. Put a couple of little hearts below the heart, the smaller heart on the thing. And take some time today and think and pray about one, two, three people in your life that God's putting on your heart. To take what God is and what he's shown to us and how we can give that to others and point them back. You can even put an arrow back to the big heart if you like and show the gospel to people. Show the heart of God to others. What a great calling we have. So how are we going to do it? Um, I think this is enough. The Bible gives us incredible guidance on how to to walk this out, and I just have a sense, I think the heart of the eldership and the leadership of Living Hope Church is to walk together through this process of getting to the heart of God and sharing it with others. We recognize for ourselves as leaders that this isn't easy and that we want to not just throw it out there and say you got to do it, but we want to walk together step by step through the process. So one thing, two things before I get to this last illustration at the bottom of the page is that this is a sovereign miracle. So the first reality about how we do this is we don't do this. God does this. The analogy I like to think of is that you think of a, a little one that's working with dad on something maybe, right? They're uh, I don't know, dad's digging something up and the son is like whipping the shovel around and kicking the dirt, but not doing that much, really. And that's us. Our father wants us in his work, so he invites us to share with him in the sovereign work that he does to open eyes. So it helps us to not feel overwhelmed by the weight of it that we're just working with and growing in our father's work. And the second part about being a sovereign is that we need to pray. There are people here at the church that I've already interacted with that are just prayer warriors and are just fabulous at praying for the lost. And I would love for us to grow in our praying because God sovereignly saves. We don't. The second how, the second specific of how we're going to do this is a response to a glaring struggle that I have had and that I know many of us have, that suffering, when it comes into our lives, is an obstacle to doing this, right? I mean, we already talked about vocation one, two, and three we have as parents and neighbors and jobs. And then I'm asking us, or I'm sorry, Jesus is asking us to do this other thing. And if life is hard, if we're also facing suffering and struggle in our lives, it seems like it's just too much. It's too much to ask. I don't have it in me. There are days in my job, I talked about these stories of what I do, but there's days that I just want to put my headphones in and do my job because there's too much else going on to reach out to people. But the Bible is clear that our suffering is not an obstacle, but an opportunity for us to share. 
We are jars of clay. So the all-surpassing power will be seen to be of God and not us. And that's on purpose. You know how that's on purpose? We talked about this at a leadership meeting. When we're humble and broken, even maybe share with people who aren't Christians that we're struggling, it catches them off guard. Because some of them assume that Christians have it all together and know all the answers and think they got it all. And the reality is we don't. And when we admit it, it attracts people to us. And then we can tell them about Jesus. Psalms 51, 8 through 13 is a beautiful passage. And it talks about casting... David is struggling and he asked God to create a clean heart in him and to renew a right spirit, to restore to him the joy of his salvation, upholding him with a willing spirit. And then, verse 13 says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. This is all after he is broken and suffering and admitting he sins against God. And through that process of God healing and rebuilding him, he becomes able to share. And so do we. So pray to God, rely on him. I know the weight of suffering and struggle and pain in our lives, but it is not an obstacle. It's an opportunity. So, in conclusion, this final illustration at the bottom of your uh, sheet, handout sheet, is a river. (laughs) There's three people on the left, there's three people on the right, and it's a big, wide river. And this is evangelism. It's hard. Going from zero to a hundred and just doing it is just too much for any of us. So this is an analogy of how we see training work. And since we have the kids with us, I thought to Make sure you're still awake. I give a quick word problem. Raise your hand if you have the answer and tell me. If the average stride is three feet and a river is 27 feet wide, how many rocks placed three feet apart will it take to walk across the river? Can you say it again? Uh... Mina, you were a little kid when I taught you. I, I guess I, should, I can call on you. Go ahead. Nine. Very good. So while, we're, while I'm explaining this illustration, kids, you can draw nine little rocks spaced out across from one side of the river to the other. And the three bigger stones are how we're going to train together, how we're going to work together to grow into this process of sharing God with others, the gospel with others. And they are, the A is awareness. Just being aware of the gospel and of people in our lives that don't know him. Just noticing them, our neighbors, our coworkers. It's confidence is the second one. Confidence is built. It's not... You have it or you don't. We can grow in it. There are skills that we can develop. There's books that are written that can help us to gain confidence. And there's experience we can share. I'll get into a few of those. And then perseverance is the third one. P, perseverance. Because in today's day and age, there's a lot of more unchurched folks that we're starting at a pretty ground level with. We're going to slowly have to walk with them through understanding what the Bible even is and what it's about and who God is. So we have to persevere in that. And there'll be struggle and there'll be rejection. 
But how do we persevere as a church, step by step, in doing that? So a few quick rocks that we're going to hopefully work together. October 10th, 4 to 6, we're going to have a training Sunday night where we work together to explain and explore and discuss some of these little stones that help us work from beginning to end to being confident and doing evangelism. Uh, is Miles here? Miles met is part of our evangelism team, and he shared with me that this is not certainly a never-ending process. So it's it's more like a, a circle where we're always never getting to the end, but at the same time we can grow and develop in this. So a few of the awareness stones. There are prayer journals out back that are ways. Prayer is a way for us to raise awareness of God's gospel and the lost people in our lives. There's a place for individual names for us to reach out. Neighborhood tic-tac-toe. Think about it, and I've thought about it. Like how many of the houses, if you're in the center square, how many of the people in the houses around where you live do we even know by name? Or do we have a connection with? Do we know much about their lives? We can be more aware of the people around us. And then one last one is retail evangelism. Uh, who cuts your hair? Where do you go for coffee? Go to those places regularly and start to talk to those people. Become aware of who they are. Confidence. There's a few there. There's some books that we're going to look at that help us to ask good questions and go deeper with people. Hospitality is amazing for this because if someone comes into my home and I've invited them and I'm connecting with them, then it's a safer place to talk to them and get into the depth of the gospel. We're going to talk about how to build confidence in that. Um, and then written word evangelism. Last Easter, we, we had Christmas uh, Easter cards. And I find writing, the ability to compose myself and take my time, I can write my testimony or I can write the gospel to someone I have a relationship with and I can get there in a way that in the face-to-face, it can often be a lot harder. So that helps us to build confidence. And finally, perseverance. What happens when we are rejected? What about that pearls before swine thing? Is there a time to let go of someone that we're trying to to pursue? And the sovereignty of God is just deeper and more powerful when we're trying to persevere with people. And finally, celebrations and baptisms. There'll be opportunities for us to share testimony and to see God at work. And that'll be part of the stone of perseverance and of encouragement that we have um, in growing in evangelism. So as the worship team comes up, uh, I just want to pray. I want to pray with you. Um, Maybe start that exercise. Take a minute and ask God for someone in your life that you think he might want you to go deeper with, to reach out to. It starts with love and relationship and friendship. And then maybe it's just a word of of who you are and that you go to church. Just a a small seed And then it can progress to an opportunity to sit down with them and learn what they believe and share with them the full message of the gospel. But just have someone in mind as we pray and close. God, we pray that you would give us your heart for the lost. We need your power to love you intimately each and every day to love each other well to show the love of Christ to the world as a church and to go out to the lost with the love of God so together God 
as a church, I just pray that Living Hope would be able to stand up and say yes to all those invitations you gave us in the beginning to be salt and light and hope to the world, God. We pray for laborers and we pray for a harvest, God. We want to see people come to meet you. In your name, Jesus, we pray.